Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. This is the show just before Christmas. We're the podcast that translates President Trump, and it still is President Trump. Correct. Till, <laughs> till other things happen. <laughs> yeah, I know what everybody's saying. It's inevitable, and it's Biden. But I have friends who are saying, nope, it's not over yet. Honest, it's not over yet. No, we'll see. We take an honest look at the current administration, and we expose the existential threats to America. Joining me today, our friend Seth Liebson, host of The Seth Liebson Show. It's heard daily on KKNT 960 AM in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Also joining me today is Jason Trenard. He's the chairman and chief executive officer of Strategus. But first, a few things I'd like to discuss. Before I forget, Claude, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas and a blessed Christmas for you. What's your church plans? So church plans are uh, as follows. So last week, uh, last weekend, actually, uh, as normal, we went went downtown and fed the homeless. Uh, we're going to do the same thing on the 26th. Um, I actually have a lot of um, Facebook uh, uh, scheduled things that I see from local churches, including like a St. Thomas and a few others where I'm going to just virtually watch their Christmas Eve services. Um, still have my Catholic roots. You know, I, I, every now and again, Good. I like to have a quiet kind of reflective service where we reflect on, you know, uh, life and all that uh, it means. And, um, and yeah, so I'll be looking forward to nice. tapping into my Catholic roots, bringing my son and wife along with me. Good. What about St. Anne's? You going to go there? Yeah. So St. Anne's we're doing a, let's see, is it still the infant maternity home? It is. Uh-huh. It is. So with St. Anne's, we're still, we're going to do a huge, uh, diaper and baby wipes <laughs> drop off for St. <laughs> Anne's this week. Um, and yeah, you know, sister Josephine, who, you know, she's retired Absolutely. now, I, I think know. in Mount Airy, Maryland. Um, but I always send well wishes from you to her yeah, of course. when I'm there. And, uh, yeah, no. So we'll be doing that. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, that's great. Uh, St. Anne's Infant Maternity Home, I, I got to know them very well. I think we told the audience about this last time, but uh, they it's a Catholic institution that provides a place for women to stay mm-hmm. while they are pregnant and have their babies, mm-hmm. uh, an alternative to abortion. Right. Right. And um, it's a wonderful place. It's, it's a wonderful place. And these moms, high yeah. spirit, and these moms. Go ahead. I mean, these, these moms. I mean, if you you sit back on some nights when we go there and, and make donations and have activity nights, we get to hear from a lot of the moms, and some of their stories are just you know you wouldn't believe it. You know, you couldn't write it in a movie. Uh, but they come to St. Anne's. They get stability, uh, but they get structure. You know, yep. they have yep. structure. They've got you know uh, rules and discipline. Um, and it transforms these ladies' lives. It trans it, 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 it puts them in a safe, stable place, and it, and then they're able to go to work and transform them. It's great. Well, that's great. Um, I, I just have the greatest admiration for what they do, and it's um, it's modest, but it's strong, and it's um, not all the young women who are there who are pregnant are Catholic, correct? Oh yeah, right. I think probably most of them are not. Are not? No, they don't. They don't ask. They don't. They don't ask about religious affiliation. Oh, yeah, you know they they help they help. But as, but as a Catholic, I I say what I say about Catholic schools when people who are not Catholic tell me they're putting their kids in there. <laughs> right. I say, well, they're not Catholic to start with, <laughs> right? But let us work a little influence here, yeah. and we'll see and we'll see what happens. Well, the name of the institution, Saint Anne's, they kind of get it. They're like, all right, this, is, this must be a Catholic. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yes. Well, and we talked about that last week about her difficulty. Uh, getting some government funding because they, the government, I think, Department of Health and Human Services objected to the St. Anne's. Mm-hmm. And Sister Josephine wrote back and said, would we be better off if we were just uh, Anne's uh, 
waffle and pancake house? <laughs> okay. The guy wrote back and said, yes. <laughs> yes. You would be. Yes, you wouldn't. But, of course, that's crazy because you got all sorts of hospitals around this country. Mercy Hospital, you know, St. Jude, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. You right. Know. Right, right. And, uh, you know, they can get government funding and should. Mm-hmm. Uh, performing a secular purpose or a purpose which, you know, um, a broader society accepts is valid. Yeah. Yes. But then you run afoul of these things. It gets complicated, at least to liberals, when you get the Little Sisters of the Poor and mm-hmm. whether they have to provide abortion services. No way they're going to do that at St. Anne's. No, That's no why way. St. Anne's exists. And let me tell you this, too, as far as St. Anne's. I mean, anytime we do these activity nights with the moms and the, and the babies they are clear please do not have any kind of religious push for these just 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 have love them do your mission but don't try to evangelize because we don't want to lose them. i mean they're clear about it they, they i think they believe by serving and by the love they'll feel it by example e- exactly even if we don't have to preach it oh this but you're, you're directed to do that correct Correct. Well, maybe they don't want your version of Protestantism. <laughs> that's probably why. That's pro- you know what? That's actually probably why. They yeah, don't want me to. He's, he's a Luther guy, you know. They right. don't want to. No, I'd, I'd see the point, though. Right. No, I think it's the, the greatest moral teaching is the moral power of example. Mm-hmm. And you say, I want to be like that person. It just like shows it. why are the liberals so, why are they so afraid of the help and the evangelism, you know, I don't understand why they're so afraid of it. And one of the things I learned when I was uh, drug czar is that the single most effective programs for recovery were religiously based mm-hmm. because a little bit of a story. I remember when I was touring the country as drug czar, when I first got the job, went around the country to find out. That's the way I did education. Went to schools when I was drug czar. I went into neighborhoods, public housing projects, hospitals, you know, where Crack babies were being delivered, treatment centers and so on. I remember talking to this woman, an older black woman, and I said, what's crack like? And she said, it's the devil. I said, it's like the devil. She said, no, it's not like the devil. It is the devil. Mm. It is the devil. Mm-hmm. And um, later on, I remember reading James Q. Wilson, the great uh, political theorist, who said the drugs are wrong because uh, uh, they destroy the mind and enslave the soul. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that soul dimension is, you know, what religion deals with the ultimate questions of life and if you have got something as strong as drugs strangling you you need something just as strong to push back Mm -hmm. flannery o'connor says you have to push back as hard as the thing that's pushing against you Mm -hmm. and so if it is the devil or something like it you need something stronger to push back and in our church we talk about those archangels being Mm -hmm. strong enough to take Mm -hmm. on you know the, the devil but um Religious, the, the point, the data point here, whether you're religious or not, is that religiously based uh, treatment programs have much higher success rates uh, because they go deeper. Uh, they go into the, they go to the soul. I'm indebted to Marvin Olasky, a theologian, um, who pointed this out to me, uh, and I can't think of the name of his book, but um, I, he pointed it out to me when I was drug czar, and then I took what he was saying and, and took it to heart. And um, he's right. He was absolutely right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Let's welcome Jason Trenner. He's the chairman and chief executive officer of Strategus. Hey, Bill. How are you? How are you, Jason? It's great to talk to you. Merry Christmas. Great to talk to you. Merry Merry Christmas to you. And a blessed Christmas and Happy New Year. Let's start there. I want to get your thoughts on the year, but let's start with Christmas, because Claude and I were just talking about the many wonderful things he does. Um, 
in Washington. He was uh, downtown feeding the homeless. He went to one of my favorite places, St. Anne's Infant Maternity Home, which is a home for uh, young women who are pregnant, uh, and it's offered as a uh, good alternative, much better alternative than abortion, uh, and other things that go on even in this uh, swamp, this city. Uh, and I, I applaud Claude for his efforts. Your Christmas, um, what's it about? I'm here at home. We will happily have uh, our two sons, John and Joe, uh, my daughter-in-law, Krista, and uh, John and Krista, you met John, are expecting yeah. uh, their first child in the next week. So oh, the poor thing may be born on Christmas Day and, you know, about the presents <laughs> there. But, uh, High expectations. It'll be, a, it'll be a double blessing. Talk to us about Christmas in the Trenner home. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I think, um, you know, the thing I, my wife and I try to do uh, a lot, and, and I can't say we do it particularly successfully, though, with we, and we have two children, uh, an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old, but we, we try to focus on the idea of uh, some sort of perspective because, um, you know, we're, we're growing up in a relatively, they're growing up in a relatively affluent um, household, and, you know, that just wasn't the case for uh, my parents or my wife's parents, uh, particularly, and we, we try to, um, we read every year a story my mother had written about her growing up. She, she was an Italian immigrant family, and she wrote a story in the 70s about um, a year in which they couldn't afford a Christmas tree. And um, finally, on Christmas Eve, she and her upstairs neighbor, her mother and her upstairs neighbor, bought one tree and cut it in half. And so we read that every year and um, just to kind of remind everyone that, um, you know, we're, we're, there's an embarrassment of riches here in this country and in our household and to try to remember those who are less fortunate. So that that figures prominently. And we, we normally go to mass on Christmas Eve uh, and then have uh, dinner as a family afterwards. This year, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see my mom, who's 84 uh, because she's uh, in an assisted living facility in, uh, on Long Island, but uh, obviously we'll be talking to her. And, and uh, but she uh, has not allowed any visitors, or no one in her um, community is. So um, that's an unfortunate, uh, unfortunate part of this. Will you be allowed to go to mass? Governor Cuomo will let you go. Yeah, I, as far as I know, um, you know, and I, we we spend a lot of time. We remarkably. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking and spending time in Italy uh, uh, and focusing. And remarkably, I don't know if you know that all the midnight masses, I believe, are going to start at eight o'clock in Italy, which is kind of remarkable. Uh, it's it's remarkable uh, the the what people have put up with this year. I want to keep it positive, but but it it is remarkable how little by little one's freedoms get uh, taken away. Especially why eight o'clock? Freedom. Why eight o'clock? I'm not quite sure. I guess so you can get home uh, for <laughs> so that you could get home before there's a there's a curfew at, at midnight. Yeah. So it cannot it can't you cannot be out past midnight. So I guess they're they're uh, they're assuming uh, that that people will, you know, indulge in some revelry after mass or something. And, that, that you know, God forbid that that would go past midnight. So um, but um it's it's pretty pretty remarkable um, that uh, we we've come to this. I I believe. Now I'm going to it is, and I want to carry through on the larger point here. But to repeat what my wife says, 
she says, you usually absorb a great story, but your first question is always about some stupid detail, which matters <laughs> not. And so I was thinking about cutting that tree in half. <laughs> was, <laughs> was it cut from the top down, or was it cut across the middle? This is like cutting a grapefruit. Yeah, I, it was cut. I, from my understanding, it was cut in half in, in the middle. They both uh, trimmed it so that it, it became symmetrical. I got it. Uh, I and got I'll, it. I'll send. I'll send you the. Uh, I'll send you the the piece. I share it with my clients too every year, and um, because it's you know I work in a kind of business where you know unfortunately we all do. We all get caught up in it, myself included. You know, you get uh, very caught up in keeping score um, in, in in ways that are not uh, not going to help you very much in the you know in the next life. Uh, but you know they they for a lot of people count a lot. Um, you know, here on Earth. Yep. Oh. Yep. Oh, I sorry. So, yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. I, I just just pause a second. Tell the audience because I gave you a, a formal introduction, but tell the audience a little bit about the kind of business you do, uh, so they get a sense yeah. of what you're saying here. Yeah. So we're we're a Wall Street. Uh, I run a Wall Street research boutique. We have uh, over 50 people uh, in offices in New York and Washington D.C. And we focus on, um, for lack of a better term, all the big picture. Things. We focus on um, economics, so we focus on uh, investment strategy um, and policy work, and we do that for institutional investors around the world. We have clients in 45 states and 20 foreign countries, and um, we visit them frequently, So, um, it, which uh, is a blessing and, and a curse. Um, you know, the curse is having to go through LaGuardia. And and yeah. JFK on yeah. you know almost weekly basis, uh, but the blessing is that you uh, you get to learn a lot about the country, um, and that's that's been uh, I've been doing it a long time, and it's it's uh, it's served us well as a as a firm to you know be out and about. You are a very successful guy. It's a big and successful organization you run, and very highly regarded. Do you find it uh, hard harder? to uh, keep your perspective of faith in that environment. I'm thinking of your father, who was a teacher, right? Yes, and yes, you, sir. You sent me a book of his uh, his, his poetry, which is, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, did he have it easier in terms of a challenge or obstacles or reminders of uh, the encroachments of the world than you, than you do? The world is much on you, right? I mean, the world of commerce and business is much on you. And I'm just wondering how much does it try to squeeze out the spiritual dimension, the critical dimension? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in, in that it maybe goes back to just a, a gratitude, right? I think the, the one thing my parents were, uh, because of the way they grew up, which was not, I wouldn't say it was poor, but it certainly wasn't. Um, I, you know, it might, might have been middle class, uh, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure how you would define it. Uh, but, um, it certainly was not, uh, there was not any sort of embarrassment of riches in the, in their home. So I, I think they were, well, my parents were both very grateful. Uh, they're both teachers, but they were both very grateful just to have jobs, uh, to start off with. So, yeah. um, and, and anything else that, that accrued beyond that. Let's say being able to go on vacation or, or something was just seen as, um, you know, over, almost over the top. So I think in that regard, you know, uh, they were happier uh, because it weren't particularly 
concerned uh, about what other people had. They're more focused on on what they had, and if their their basic needs were being met, you know that would be enough. And I think in, in, in I live and work in Manhattan, and I, I've done so for thirty years uh, since getting out of Georgetown. And I think you know that it is sometimes difficult to to make sure that you have the proper perspectives that um, you know, that. Um, it, it really doesn't matter what other people have, in my opinion. It, it matters what you have and whether you're happy. And so there is a broad, obviously, Bill, you've talked about it for you know decades, um, but there is a, a broad secularism, um, you know, that's taken hold of the country. And I don't think it's accrued to the um, this country or the West in particular. It doesn't. It does not appear to have to have benefited uh, these societies. It, it seems to me, if you just look at uh, the evidence. And so having a better idea of kind of what, what's coming in the next life, it seems to me is a better, um, uh, is a better way of being happier here, uh, here on earth. Yeah. I want to come back to your family and I don't mean to yeah. intrude on it, but I'm just, uh, cause there's several things going on in my, in my head now as, as you're talking. Do you think it was easier to preserve, raise and preserve you and your siblings in that environment than which was maybe middle class, as you said, than it is yeah. for you uh, with all the efforts I'm sure you and your wife make in affluence. I'm, I'm thinking here of Solzhenitsyn, you know, in the 78 speech at Harvard where he said, I mean, he said a ton. <laughs> he said more than that speech than I've written in my life. But he said, you know, in the gulag, we kept our faith. Uh, no matter how hard they pressed us, the, the, you know, we kept our faith. My question is, will affluence uh, uh, be more effective in, in terms of uh, extirpating the spiritual dimension uh, than, than than hardship, um, and 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 I th- and I think it's a fa- I think it's a fair question. I don't mean to make it pointed about you and a, a generational no, no. thing, but, well, but speak yeah, about it any way you can. We put, we have provided everything possible for our sons, and you know we wor- worry and wonder sometimes: Have we provided too much? You know, Bill, and, and uh, you know, my kids are a bit younger, and I have to say, I worry, my wife and I worry about that, I, I would say, almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, and it, it seems like a, it's a, it, it, it seems like a strange thing to worry about. Uh, I also, you know, you're, um, as a parent, of course, you're very worried about the, the health and welfare of your kids more than anything else. And I find myself, I'm more worried about their, uh, my kids' mental health and spiritual fitness than I am about their physical health, and that, that's that's a blessing of living in the 21st century. Is that the, you know, as a parent, you, you don't have to worry. Most of us, mercifully, don't have to worry as much about uh, about um, about one's uh, kids' physical health. Um, yeah, um, but the mental health and the spiritual health, I think, is something that's very difficult because there there are obviously a lot more. Distractions, and I would say most of society. I don't want to overstate it, but um, I think it tends to promote values, or at least what kids are, are viewing, that are not only not helpful to being a parent. I, I think they're they're actually stand uh, in as an obstacle to being a parent. They're promoting a lot of values and a lot of things that I think ultimately, my own opinion, will only serve to make them unhappy. Um, and so. That is something that is is very very difficult, um, you know, to, to to focus on. Of course, there's there's also 
um, a big focus among young people, as you know, on, on resume building. And yep. Um, yep. which I, I think, you know, one of the, I interviewed a young lady yesterday, and one of the questions I asked her was, um, you know, have you ever had a job for pay? Have you ever had a job? Because it's a very impressive resume. I said, have you ever had just a job? You know, have you ever waited tables or, you know? And, um, and she hadn't. Um, and she's 22 AOC? years old. AOC? Do you think you are AOC? Was this, you you know what AOC said? You know, she said, none of these Republicans have ever waited tables, you know, please excuse me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, it's not that AOC was a bartender. It's that she, it's that she learned so, so little. Yeah. Right. That's Uh, that's actually uh, a good place to learn things. Isn't that a big bartender? Um, Sure. and, And I, I think that, you know, that's another challenge I think for maybe more affluent, families these days is uh, just um, realizing that um, it's um, there are things you can learn from from um, jobs that you might not necessarily aspire to do the rest of your life that that will serve you well in terms of understanding your you know your fellow man understanding why you're getting educated the importance of an education and I think sometimes that that's lost. And so there's a tendency to focus a lot more, which is, is common, not among, not just among young people, but all over societies, a much bigger focus on virtue signaling or resume building than, than actual virtue. And, um, which is, uh, unfortunate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. This, this phrase virtue signaling, because, you know, the thing I I guess professionally that I'm proudest of in my life is the book of virtues, not the government job, Ah. but the book of virtues. And, um, you know, people say, hey, brought it, brought it back, brought back the vocabulary of virtues. Well, yeah, I was sort of trying to do that. And then, bam, it's gone with virtue signaling because that's not right. what I was, it's not what I was writing about, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's a sidelight. That's a sidelight. But I, I, uh, what you're saying is, brings very true. I, I must confess in our life, in my family, uh, my wife is, is much more a keeper of a brighter spiritual flame than I am. I tend to focus on with the guys on you know what's next and what about this and have you honored that have you paid that have you done you taking right. care of business you know you're taking care of things and um and 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 she reminds me and reminds them uh, of that dimension you know um Monica who was uh, Saint Augustine's uh, mother it was said of her that she she worried Augustine into sainthood i don't know if you've ever heard that <laughs> but she was the original hover hovercraft mom you know the helicopter <laughs> mom and she just stayed on him and went wherever he went uh and uh and 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 finally got him there and of course he had a kind of rough beginning but um i i i feel guilty that i'm not better at that um, it just seems to come to her more more naturally, but um, in, in any case, I'm I'm, I'm conf- well, it ta- confessing it my own limitation two. here. Yeah, it does take two, and I have to reinforce it for sure. If I don't originate it, I at least have to reinforce it. Yeah. But you know, yeah, you know no, the I... way you think practically as a dad, like, hey, hey, did you did you file your income taxes? Did you? Oh, you know, did you... oh listen, I, yeah. I, you know, my kids are young. My kids yeah. are a bit younger, Bill. Yeah. So you know, I, there'll be plenty of time to worry about. Uh, we, we trust me. We worry about that a lot as well. Um, but um, I think that there's a lot of outside pressures to to um, there can be some yeah. outside pressures to do those things. But um, yeah, and part of this is just you, you know you reflect at this time of year. You tend to reflect on your own life and you reflect on um, 
you know, places where you, you fell down in some way or you didn't, um, or, or uh, certain periods of your life where um, it, you didn't kind of live up to what, what you were trying to accomplish or where you were right. off, you were on the wrong path. And so, um, but yeah, I think, I, I think it's particularly, going back to your original question, I think it's a particularly difficult time for parents uh, these days. And I think it's particularly, of course, it would be particularly difficult, as we said, without two parents. Um, regardless right. of what That's the right. configuration right. of the two parents uh, was, because you really, uh, the, the forces arrayed against you on, in secular society are, um, are pretty, pretty overwhelming. And, and uh, again, I, I think rarely tend to uh, emphasize uh, the values that most of us as parents would want our kids to, to, um, uh, to exhibit. So that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. I'm thinking of a line from Flannery O'Connor. I don't know if you know her work, but she says you have to push as hard as the age that pushes against you. And this age pushes pretty hard against that, that spiritual axis of life, which has grown dim. But, you know, I had an eye-opening experience. I will share it with you because you know more about this place than I do. But whatever the spiritual axis of life in the United States, so I went to Europe, and I haven't been to Europe very often. I know you go often, but I went to Italy, you know, a Catholic country, yeah. right? Uh, and I remember when we visited there, went out to the Legionaries of Christ, which is a order of priests. This is the benefit of the audience. You know them well, Jason. I know them well. I yeah. visited with them and then had a couple of dinners with some of them, and uh, they said, uh, you know, they gave me the numbers, the the numbers of, of, of children being born going down. It's not replacement value or any, anywhere near it. And they said, this is a, this is a beautiful country, wonderful people, but it's, it's all about superficial things. It's about fashion. It's about, you know, so it leads the world in fashion, things coming out of Milan and so on. And I came away thinking, you know, I went there thinking, well, I'd be, you know, surrounded by, um, churches and very deeply religious people yeah. and of course they're there but it seemed to me to be a, a place very much taken up with uh things of the world at least at the upper well, le- levels i think that's true i think it's particularly and as um uh, and as as bleak as that may be in italy it's it's quite it's even worse in in france and 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 I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about evangelization, and I think that there's been a lot of talk. Um, uh, Pope Benedict talked about this. Pope John Paul II talked about it. Is evangelizing the West? You have to re-evangelize yep. the West, um, which is so many of the uh, the blessings that the West has. I think derive a lot from faith, uh, and yet um, there's a tendency uh, as we get more affluent. Uh, to forget about the, the the values and and the basis for the society that created all the affluence uh, in the first place, but I think that is true, and I think that the United States, I think, is is quite different because it is it's it generally tends to be much more religious than most countries in Europe. I, I can't again, I know Italy well. I, I don't want to speak for the rest of Western Western Europe, uh, but. Um, but I, I tend to think the U.S. is is a much more religious country by oh. and large than, than many countries in Europe. And you say what I saw in Italy is worse in France. Oh, I think so. Yeah, wow. I, I, wow. I, from, from all the things that I've read, I think uh, I, I think less than uh, less than five percent are regular churchgoers in yeah. France. I think only about half of the country, which is overwhelmingly people, are overwhelmingly born Catholic. But I think uh, about half. But actually, describe themselves as Catholic, yeah. um, which is a tra- in my opinion, is uh, 
is a tragedy just to the extent to which I think it, it's good to believe in something that, that's, you know, that's greater than, again, what, what's here on earth. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, just one other anecdote. When, when we went, I think it was Father Michael, you know, Father Michael, Father Michael yeah, Sliney. He's, he was there. He said, when you go to church this Sunday, tell me the average age of the people there. And you know what the answer is. It's old. Yeah. Old people. It is. Um, think of Shakespeare. You know, bare ruined choirs were late the sweet birds sang. Um, those, ch- those churches are empty. Is, is this a year in which the, what we're talking about has gotten better or worse? I, I, can give, I can give you some data that suggests it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah, I think, see, I don't, it, that's, and I would like to hear the data, though, because I don't know. I know for me it's gotten better, I think, or, um, and it's, it's generally present. I, I like to think it's certainly um, been something I, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we say, you know, I'm practicing Catholic, which means, you know, I'm practicing, you know, every every day, uh, trying to get better, and, and, um, and it waxes and wanes. Uh, but I think moving into next year, I think one of the good things, hopefully, people will, will have learned you know, from this year and my, myself included is not to take, again, not to take things for granted. Uh, some of the, yeah. and there, I, I'm talking about very basic things too, that, that we seem to have taken for granted, like our, like just some of our civil liberties, um, that, um, if you're not careful, I think, um, secular authorities will, will given the chance may, may seek to take them away. And I think, um, and, and there's, uh, I, I think, uh, there's a tendency, I think, about um, like Rick Blaine and, and Casablanca, who, who at a se- essentially at a certain point gives up, uh, uh, but then, you know, towards the end, uh, reengages in the fight. And I think that there's, uh, there's a weariness now uh, among a lot of us, um, I think. Uh, it feels like we've been fighting a long time, but I think we have to continue to fight um, in, in this country for, for the, again, the liberties that, that lie uh, at the heart of it. And that's what I'm thinking for 2021, personally, is that uh, I, I feel quite weary. Um, I'm tired of politics, but by the same token, politics, I think it, it does, it, yeah. it, it is obviously um, um, a, a, an important way in which you can preserve your own freedoms. So uh, I know for myself, I'll never, uh, I, I started out saying, I, you know, uh, traveling can be a curse, but I, I, you know, right now uh, I can't wait to get on an airplane and visit our clients. Uh, and wow. uh, because the, um, we provide a lot of data, we, we do a lot of quantitative analysis, we do a lot of those things. And yet the personal element of building a business and having the relationships and, and also understanding what's going on in the economy um, is, is much easier when you're out and about as opposed to you know, behind a computer screen. So uh, I think that, um, that element will be, uh, is important for my business, but it's also important just in terms of our perspective uh, on economic forecasts and market, uh, market predictions. Sure. Uh, you started this uh, last two paragraphs by saying it was a good year for you. I know a lot of our audience will be curious. Can you tell us why without prying into your business? Yeah, no, I, I, we're quite lucky uh, because we, we're a broker dealer. We, um, and remarkably, uh, the, the beauty of technology is we, we found out, uh, the hard way that, uh, because we were forced to, that we, we largely could do everything from home. So, um, it was a good year and there was a lot of volatility. So there's a lot of volume and, and on the stock market and, and, uh, so see. people were quite, in, quite engaged, but I, I have a lot of friends that are small businessmen um, that do not have that luxury, right? They own a restaurant or they own an optician store. They've been oh, closed gosh, down. Yes, yes. And so, 
you know, so that's, that's, we're, we're quite lucky in that, in that we could go to work every day and, and, um, and be compensated for that work, which, you know, obviously a, a lot of people have not. So in that regard, it's a good, it's been a good year. I think the nature of our work too, uh, too is, is, um, obviously there's a lot going on from a macro perspective, whether it was the election or, uh, the various stimulus bills coming out of, uh, out of Congress or um, what was happening in the economy, uh, that type of, oddly, that, that, that accrued to our benefit to the extent to which we, um, our work was relevant. I got you. Yeah, no, fair enough. You asked me what those data points were. Um, just a few, and I don't want to get us, get us depressed here, but, I, but years ago, after reading about the Index of Leading Economic Indicators, I wrote a book called Index of Leading Cultural Indicators. Mm. And measurement of things like um, drug use, SAT scores, divorce, um, things like that, and it's a different set of charts, you know. And yeah. this year was a terrible year for a lot of those things: um, depression, massive, you know, increases in drug use. Uh, increases in child abuse, uh, you know, child uh, abuse mm, people couldn't, yeah. couldn't visit homes. Lots of families left to their own did fine. Lots of families left to their own did not do fine. Um, plus, of course, people not being able to work, not being able to provide. Um, and, you know, an interesting thing, we were talking about physical health. I have a lot of friends who are doctors, and they said, you know, just an awful lot of people, we were just so COVID-focused, an awful lot of people with other problems, heart problems, heart disease, cancer, put off the screening, put off the testing uh, because they didn't want to go out. They didn't want to go to the hospital. They thought they should wait and make room for the COVID folks. And an awful lot of people suffered. We don't have the numbers. But doctors tell me, yeah, a good friend of mine's a cardiologist, he said, I just had a massive number of patients who stopped coming. And a lot of them can't afford to do that. So, right. you know, there was there was that. But uh, anyway, uh, this story is yet to be yet to be written about 2020. But let me just ask you about one piece of it. Explain to me, you're a business guy and you, you don't understand politics. How the heck, since we're, you know, in the Christmas season, I'll just leave it at <laughs> heck. How the heck can these governors, let's just take Newsom, but a lot of them, close down these people's livelihoods and justify it when there's no objective scientific justification. How do we, how do the, how does he get away with it? it and it seems he is getting away with it. There's a recall petition and this and that, but I, w- I would think there would be torches and pitchforks out there. I, I just don't yeah. get this. I mean, there's that woman they show on, Fox all the time who <laughs> they close down her outdoor dining and then 10 feet away they have all these tents yeah. for outdoor dining for some TV series <laughs> that's being filmed yeah I think Bill you know this this gets into um, um, there's hillbilly elegy there's a, a book called coming apart by Charles Murray I, I think the reason my own opinion is the reason why um, know the book governors are getting away with this is that largely um, not exclusively, but largely relatively wealthy, well-educated people are not as affected by some of these changes uh, than people who are perhaps not as wealthy or perhaps not as educated. And so those uh, uh, 
people who are lucky enough, let's say, to work for the government or work uh, on Wall Street, we, we get to do our work every day without interruption, um, and our livelihoods are not upset. Um, and and that, that, is, that is not true, um, obviously, for a great many of people, but who are probably a little bit further away from, from power. And so I don't understand it. Um, and I, I think the only remedy uh, obviously has to come through the ballot box. I, I think whatever one's feelings about Donald Trump are, I think, uh, and mine are quite positive, generally speaking, I have to say, um, I think he was, um, he was alone almost in, in thinking yeah. about the forgotten men and women of this country um, who are, again, maybe far away from the corridors of power, uh, but um, whose lives are, um, are, are being greatly affected personally by a lot of the decisions and a lot of times a lot of bad decisions being made by the elites. Um, and uh, the, the only way that's going to change is is through uh, elections. Uh, I, 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 you know, one hopes it happens through elections and not through some other means. Well, I don't know if we're facing 100 days of masks and more shutdowns or whatever, but prognosis at the moment politically is not so good. The only good thing to come out of this, it seems to me, and I say this as a Republican, I was a Democrat for 25 years, you know, Jason, you know where I grew up in Brooklyn. We didn't know yeah, any Republicans, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but I've, I've been a Republican now for 30 years. Is that, is that the, the Republican party, my new party has become the party of, of working people, working class people. Um, I, I don't know if you care to comment in your vantage point. Of yeah, no, Street, I, but... I feel I grew, I grew up both. I talked about both my parents were they were both teachers, and and my mom grew up uh, in the Gravesend section of Brooklyn, and and um, they were Democrats. Uh, they were Kennedy Democrats, right? So uh, they're Catholics. Uh, so uh, and one wonders what you know where uh, my mom is still alive. She doesn't feel like there's much of a home for her in the Democratic Party right. today. Uh, you know, as someone who's uh, pro-life. Uh, anti-communist, um, you know, there, there's not really, uh, I, I don't, wouldn't say that there's a, a lot of tolerance for people with different points of view in the Democratic right. Party, despite right. all the protestations to, to the to the contrary. And so I think that uh, this is a theme that, that President Trump seized upon. And I, I believe not only is it the right thing to do, I think it's a political winner. I, I think the Republicans would be very well served um, to, to remember the, the lessons that Donald Trump has taught them uh, yes, about how, where the country is and how it feels about some of these decisions. But where you said, I remember something Biden said that I thought was incorrect. I had, he had it backwards. He said, Trump may be the guy for Wall Street, but we're the people for Scranton. I, I believe actually Scranton was much more for Trump than Wall Street was. Oh, I, I, you know, I think it's uh, again. We we talked about uh, those the hillbilly elegy and coming apart. I mean, I think that uh, again, that this is one of the things that is going back to your uh, assessment before, Bill. It it is mystifying to me how uh, again uh, the educated, the expert class, the the elites, whatever you want to call them, continue to make decisions um, that don't benefit a lot of our countrymen, um, and yet. Um, that they uh, actually hurt them, but they tend to enrich a lot of the people in power, and yet it continues to happen. And so it's, you know, whether it's if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, or, you know, with Ameri- enough American know-how, Baghdad will look like Greenwich, Connecticut in five years, or, you know, whatever. It's both it's a bipartisan affliction. 
but I, I I tend to have more confidence in just regular people than than um, uh, than right. some sort of political class, permanent political class that tends to view some of these policies as social experiments as opposed to real life human beings. So. I, I would I would prefer a little bit more humility on the part of our um, of of our politicians to know what they don't know, uh, as opposed to uh, making it seem as if they have it all under control, which is is clearly not the case. Well, very good. I um, I probably should have done this interview in reverse, starting there and ending with profound spiritual thoughts, but. I, I keep doing this. <laughs> you, you come back to who you were, you know. I there's a great line. I, I keep trying to be a philosopher, but my sense of humor keeps breaking in. You know, I, I try to be profound, but then I end up with what the hell happened with this election? You know, but that's um, that's 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 my affliction. We're 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 lucky to know you, Jason, and the country, and obviously your family. Lucky to have you, and we thank you. And I will end where we started. We. Hope you have a very merry and blessed Christmas, you and your family. Thank, thank you, Bill. It's a great honor to be with you. You're one of my great heroes for many, many years. So I, I, it is a great privilege to be with you today. Thank you. Well, just don't get to know me better. as uh, Claude. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. That's yeah. very much so. Anyway, thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Seth Liebson, host of the Seth Liebson Show, joins me now. First, I want to ask you, as we asked our first guest, Jason Trenner, holiday season for you? Do you celebrate Hanukkah? Do you? Uh, none of I do. Days. I do a little of everything. Okay, and I Christmas am, too. Uh, I'm ecclesiastical. Oh yeah, you should see the house. Really? What do you got? Oh, I don't know. We have about twenty nutcrackers. <laughs> uh, about a hundred uh, stockings. A roaring fire. It's freezing here. Really? Do you really? Yeah, no, really. Oak and juniper wood. I'm burning oak and juniper this year. Did you bring all that in? Uh, No. Well, given, I mean, collected over the years. Very nice. Very nice. And what what, what will you do for Christmas and this week and weekend and so on? I know you'll Uh, be watching your Arizona Cardinals football. Well, yeah, there's always football. And. I'll be uh, eating and drinking and running. I started running again. How are you really? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I gave it up for a little while. Now I'm back on, on it. So you run up new that... shoes yesterday. Some new running shoes. You run up that mountain, do you? No, I don't do hills. I go flat. I, I, don't, I, I don't like hills. How far you go? Uh, depending on the day. Uh Average day is three to five, and then on weekends I try and go a little longer. Good. That's great. Yeah. How goes, I guess, I don't know whether I want to ask you, how goes Arizona? How goes the country? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, th- don't make the interview that short. Come on. Yeah. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> you have a three-hour show. You, don't, you can't be stingy. I know. Why? Not, you know, I know I'm working on I'm, I'm building up the steam for it. Uh, it's later today. Um, Arizona is uh, obviously not the red state it was. I, do you remember? It uh, wasn't that long ago. It was around 2010, I think it was when Arizona was getting beaten up by all the editorial pages for being so conservative. And you and I started uh, the idea of a project of something called praising Arizona, you know, to try and defend. Right. Praising Arizona. Right, right, right. So that was a mere 10 years ago, how fast things have changed. Two Democratic senators 
um, basically, uh, basically a purple or magenta state, maybe. Yeah, not uh, not a good trajectory here. They did it to Colorado. I guess they did it to Virginia, closer to you. Second law of political thermodynamics, I guess. Why? Things will go left. Uh, we got a lot of people from California, an awful lot of people from California moving here. And more to come. More to come. Yep, more to come. Lack of leadership, I think. Political leadership, thought leadership. Um, real lack of that. Uh, we, um, we have uh, the same problem the nation has with regard to the media. It's uh, out and out leftist. And um, you combine those three things, population, leadership, messaging, it's hard to fight. Is the country, apart from Arizona, let's think bigger, is the country going left? Yeah, I think so. You think so? I do. Yeah, I, I've thought that for a long time, and I've always had pushback from it. You know, when we try and convince ourselves after certain elections, we're still a moderate or relatively conservative country. I haven't thought that in a long time. Um, I think you look at our institutions, our major cultural institutions, schools, um, corporations, athletics, Hollywood, uh, you name it, media. What What's conservative? Where's the conservatism? Uh, the vote. Uh, I mean, the vote. Uh, I, mean, I, I guess Biden won, won. You and I talk about that, a lot, that issue a lot when we're not on air. But, you know, this whole election mess, which I think is still a mess and a fraud but but that aside um whatever even by democrats count i think they will concede donald trump got what 74 million votes sure the house the sure. house became more conservative more republican sure. the senate looks like it you know there was no blue wave in the senate sure um, enough. probably will hold senate i think i think we'll hold the senate i think one vote will go you know, for at least one vote will go for a Republican in Georgia. Uh, so what about that? When you, you say, so where's the evidence the other way? That That's where people vote is evidence, isn't it? So you make a really good argument, and, and it's hard to argue with, except I would say this, I think. Um, kind of tragic to me that the entire Republican Party and conservative movement has to energize itself to all maximum force to save Georgia and one Senate seat there. I think about um, Georgia. I said Colorado, Virginia, and Arizona. We're now arguing over Georgia. Georgia, land of Newt Gingrich, right? Um, I think that, uh, I think a lot about about something Montesquieu once said, which is, you know, if there's a fall of a nation due to, due to the loss of a battle, one one battle. You, ask, you have to ask yourself, what were the conditions that led a nation to fall because of the loss of one battle? And I just don't think our conservative conditions, institutions, I, I don't think they're there. So the entire Republican Party and conservative movement is putting all its force to save a Senate seat in Georgia so that we can have a one-vote majority in the Senate. Crucially important. Don't get me wrong. I think it's everything, but that that is everything bothers me, concerns me. I would Tells me we're not that. as strong as we are. Right, we're fighting for Georgia, right? When yeah, say, really? right. Really, we can't count that. Right. Yeah, I agree with you, and you know me, and you know I agree with you about those institutions. Um, you know the old Plato thing. You know who gets to teach the children? What do we teach? Yeah, them? no, you taught me that. Sure, look you at, betcha. Look at right. the schools. Look at the media. Uh, 
look at those institutions. Who was it who said? Look at the NFL. Look at the NBA. Yeah. Look at professional athletics. You know, I mean, soft America, hard America. Okay, but look at the reaction to it. Um, people are, you know, turning off the NFL. But the viewership is down. I thought early on, you know, that the, the, the social awareness stuff was pretty strong, but it subsided. I think they kind of got it out of their system some, the proselyt, political proselytizing. Um, and, and Can I argue that, that yeah, with Yeah, sure, Can sure. Go ahead. Okay, sure. all right. We're gonna argue, yeah. You and I are going to argue NFL? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. They, they got it out of their system because they got what they wanted. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't audience share; it was the presidency. Yeah, that was the goal. Okay. Well, good for you. I, when I was challenging you on the NFL, I was thinking. You remember we went to Philadelphia? I had a debate with Dr. Dean Howard Dean. You remember that? I sure do. I sure do. And they said, "What do you guys want to talk about? Healthcare or education?" And Dean said, "Let's do education." I said. <laughs> Great. <laughs> great. So when you said, let's do NFL, I thought, great, I know this. <laughs> Can you name the seven teams in the AFC playoff? <laughs> I can't even tell you what the AFC is. Uh, can you name two? All right, good. I just wanted to make I don't think I can count the 17. It's still early here. But, but who was it who said, you know, give me those institutions, you know, the media, yeah. schools. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, Hollywood. The, the books, yeah. the novels, the art, yeah, and you can yeah. have you can have the Congress, and you can even have the right. White House, and uh, yeah, and we'll move. So you think? But but well, let me quote you. But you said, and I'll get it wrong, so you fix it. But you said, "Give me the churches and the schools, and I can save ninety percent of the problems in America." Yeah, Didn't you say that? stronger families, stronger churches, stronger schools. Yeah, and that can give you yeah. back ninety percent of the pathology of American life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so they have them now. Ninety men are too strong, and, and now we have social destruction. Yeah, we sure do. I, I think it's yeah. a great phrase. I was rereading. Did you ever know Neil Postman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know his work That's very a, well. I mean, yeah, I was rereading his book. Yeah, that. But I was rereading his book, "The Disappearance of Childhood," uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh, he uses that phrase social destruction that we're wrecking on our children because adults have decided to use children as experiments. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. No, I, and Postman, I, I, I live by his thesis and, and have ever since I read it, that the book for modern times, uh, that was, uh, you know, that, that, that had it right, uh, predictive prediction wise was not, uh, 1984, but brave new world. Uh, it's Do you not, think maybe that was true, and now it's back to 1984? It's I think it's I, headed I think, toward it's just headed toward yeah. 1984 with the coercion. Destroy all the history, destroy all the books, write a new history, write new books. Well, the course, the coercive state too. The coercive yeah. state. Stay yeah. home. You know, everybody under house arrest. Yeah, but I new think speak. You have to talk a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, no, that's a fair point. I hadn't thought about that, but I do think that uh, we were softened up to all of that. Uh-huh. By uh, by Soma, you know, which, Soma, which, which yeah. is what they take in Brave, what they, what they take in Brave New World. You but bet. yeah, no, now the totalitarian uh, impulse or temptation, I think, is very much there in the politicians, particularly the left, to yeah. tell us what to do for our for our own good. 
you have to say two plus two equals five, mm-hmm. you know, the, the BLM movement, everything, everything. I mean, there's no free speech really in America anymore, uh, except maybe the last bastion of it being what you do, podcasting, and what I do on talk radio. That's the, Those are the last bulwarks. I really think that. I really do. If they go, we're doomed. What about conservative outlets? What about conservative television, uh, Fox and Newsmax and OAN? So they got to Fox. They got Fox. You know, another really? one bites really? the dust. I think so. I think so. I have so many people tuning off of Fox um, and going to new ventures. Um I think uh, my read of it. Am, from, I, am I overstating it? You, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know the reaction. I know my reaction during the election immediately after. It seems to me they've taken a, a more a pronounced turn back to the original Fox, maybe because of loss of viewership. But they seem to me, I put it plainly, more conservative than they were election week and the week after. I, I don't know. It's just, it's not solid. It's okay. not reliably okay. solid. Okay. And I saw it the first time I noticed it was pre-election. I think you saw, I think you and I were both watching it live um, when Newt Gingrich was told he couldn't mention George Soros. I remember that, yeah. And that, I, my jaw kind of hit the floor. My jaw, it, it really kind of did. And I thought, wait, why? What, on Fox? I, I, I would think you could do it on CNN or NBC. I guess you can't, George Orwell. I think that commentator is no longer at Fox. That's true. That's true. I don't that's know true. if that had anything to do with it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah no, true. I mean it's everywhere, and the political correctness is uh, is everywhere, and the coerciveness is everywhere, and, and it seems to have trickled down too, so that you know people screaming at somebody for not wearing a mask, you know, you're going to kill somebody, you know, while, while you're out. Well, I thought, yeah, so I threw that line out. From the nearest person, go ahead. No, I threw that line out earlier, Hard America, Soft America. So that was the old Michael Barone book thesis, right? And we thought that Hard America would invade or take over or fix Soft America, and I'm just worried that it went the other way. Um, I'll, I'll give you a story on that that Please. you'll remember. Please. It was back in the day, circa 2003, 2004, when we were up in arms that the Ivy Leagues weren't allowing ROTC recruitment, right? And we invoked to some experts and people in positions of power the Solomon Amendment, which uh, Congressman Jerry Solomon for the audience wrote uh, a piece of legislation that allowed the Defense Department to withhold funding of universities, you know, research funding to universities, which is not small, if they didn't allow our OTC recruitment. Right. And we were encouraging certain people with power to do that, invoke it. And those certain people in power said, take on Harvard. Yeah. The military couldn't take the department of defense. Couldn't take on Harvard. Wouldn't, yeah. wasn't willing to. Yeah. That was my first, my first uh, view of this. Soft America is um, taking over hard America. What's to do? You do this uh, every day for three hours. What's to do? Let's not look back on 2020. Uh, it's too depressing in so many ways. <laughs> Let's look to 2021. How do you fight back? Um, let me let me start. Education. Get more choice. Get more educational freedom. Uh, uh, grab the moment that has uh, brought been brought about by COVID. Let's get one good thing out of this, which is that a, a lot of people are very frustrated 
teaching their kids at home. But some significant number of people said, this isn't hard. I can do this. And my and my child prefers it. And then parents started to form these learning pods. That is, I mean, you know, you know where I come from on this, that the schools are so critical. Uh, so challenges to the schools. Is that one place to go? And what other places to go? So, yeah, there's another element to that, too, which is, I think, um, you and I may have written this piece up, actually, when, when COVID started and they were closing schools, that a lot of parents, hopefully, a lot of parents are going to start to learn what homeschooling parents already know, that they can do a better job if they have the time and energy to do so. They can do a better job than what they're getting in their regular school, in their, in their other, otherwise, other public schools. So I do think homeschooling itself has increased, maybe not enough, but it's a start. It's a start. So I think that um, that could be helpful. When Barack Obama was elected president, uh, I said, and you said, well, people are going to be reminded of what leftism is, and maybe they'll turn away from it. Well, I think the Democratic Party has moved further to the left since then by leaps and bounds. And so if there is a middle of the road sentiment in this country or view in this country, they're going to be reminded of what they've um, what they've forgotten about what leftism is, because it's it's going to be pretty strong if uh, if and when Biden becomes president. Can't you count on the left, Seth, to overreach, uh, you know, yeah. we're not going to yeah. take away the name of Abraham Lincoln High School. Yeah. You know, we're going to only, we're going to have uh, all the teachers who are white come to re-education. Uh, don't they overreach? And, and, and It can go one of two ways. That, so I was thinking, yeah, they'll be reminded of what leftism is under Biden presidency or a Harris presidency, and they'll reject it. Or... The cultural experiment they brought on us will have been so successful that people will say, yep, this is what we want. So I'm not sure which. I worry about the second, obviously. I really worry about that. Well, give me some- because the Abraham Lincoln School. The Abraham Lincoln School. So everyone's worried about it. They just don't live in San Francisco. People in San Francisco are fine with it. Are they? Seems like it. Seems like it. Well- they keep electing these people. They are changing the name. And remember what that what the head of the naming committee said, because Abraham Lincoln said nothing good about Black Lives Matter. How can you say that? Yeah. Well, he did. He's in office. He's going to win. Uh, a battle going on here close by Fairfax County. Do you follow that at all? The parents? Well, I saw what they did with Thomas Jefferson's school near uh, there but i don't know the fairfax county yeah that was false church it's similar the school board uh the school board in 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 fairfax county voted for a series of very kind of left-wing measures unanimously by the way seven nothing and um then the parents weighed in and it was 60 percent opposed and and that's pretty liberal area um Mm -hmm. it's pretty purple anyway so they reacted. A big fight going on at Thomas Jefferson School of Math and Science here in Alexandria, rated by all the people you and I know well as one of the best high schools in the country. I was just going to ask you, isn't it still one of the best schools in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, for, for math and science. And yeah. now this thing about we're not going to test or we're not going to get in. You're not going to get in by ability and going to get in by, you know, all the tests of diversity. But there's a fight going on. Now, who will win the fight? I don't know. I don't know, so I don't want to say that's a that's a case on on the side of fighting back and prevailing. 
Well, I don't know either. Um, I'm worried about losing it. And I'm, I'm hoping this, the homeschooling movement increases. I mean, it's a great thing, but it truly is a rather small percentage of education in America. Um, it's grown. You helped start it and nurture it when you were secretary. Um, and maybe it'll grow exponentially now. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm a little more worried about choice than I used to be. Because while I used to think it was the answer, turns out, you know, some of these private schools are as bad as the public or worse. You see what they're doing at the Dalton School in New York. No, no, absolutely. There's no no question. I think it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. You you should not be coerced into attending a school that you don't like. But it doesn't mean the choice you're going to make once you're free is going to be a good one. And and I've argued this with the, if you will, with the pure choice advocates. People think that's the solution to all of um, all of all of schooling. And it's certainly it's, it's a little bit like the argument of local control, quite frankly. Sometimes it's as bad as the national or federal government. You know, yeah. it itself is not always the answer either. Yeah. So I it's detect I detect in what you're saying here at the end of December 2020, a tough year that you're worried about the country. Very, very. And what, you know, I think about a lot. One of Ronald Reagan's greatest speeches, 1964, on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Time for Choosing speech, he tells the story of, um, of, a, of a Cuban-American who moved here listening to two Americans talking about, uh, about how lucky I was. And the Cuban-American says, yeah, how lucky I was, how lucky you are, I had a country to move to. I, you know, but if, if America goes, where, where do we go? Where do we move to? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to comprehend. It's it's a little uh, it's a, it's a, it's a little too much to think about, frankly. But people are thinking about it. They're talking about it. At least they are here. Where do we go? They're talking about leaving, not just Arizona, but America. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're thinking about you know Arizonans are talking about moving to Utah. <laughs> people in Utah are thinking about where where, where do we go? Yeah. Really. Yeah. Just to insert, just because this is a, a very serious conversation, that story you told me about conscience of a conservative, we, we all know about uh, ghostwriters, but it's a oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah. That's, his, that's his great like book, that right? The conscience yeah. of a conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was asked about something he wrote in it or said in it, and uh, he said, well, I read some of that book and even agree with some of it. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was uh, popularly, uh, it's popularly known. It was written, written by uh, by uh, Bazell, uh, Brent Bazell, Brent, Brent Bazell's dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, I've read some of it, and I even agree with some of it. <laughs> but the book, did, the cover did say "Conscious of a Conservative" by Barry Goldwater. Right? It did say that. Yes, <laughs> it did say. That. All right, give us another institution. How do we recapture it? Or re- yeah, conservatives talk about taking over. Uh, a Hollywood production studio. Uh, what everyone thinks about Fox now, there was this idea, this genius idea of Roger Ailes. Why don't we have a network that, you know, agrees with half the country, unlike NBC, ABC, and CBS, whatever the condition now. Um, let's take over the media. You know, let's let's come up with our own movie studio. Uh, let's, uh, you know, Donald Trump. People are saying Donald Trump will form his own uh, uh, radio or TV network um, is that is that a good way to go? There's money in America. I don't, Some of the uh, yeah, there you, is money. You know. But you and I have been probably part of four efforts 
if I'm just recounting in my head, where people tried to open a conservative movie institution. Um, you can probably remember a few. I don't really want to name them right now, but it doesn't work for some reason. They never really took off. I don't know why. I don't know why. Can a new media organization take off? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was talking to Christopher Ruddy the other day, head of Newsmax, and yeah. he was um, he's doing a good job over there. Um, it's not the same as Fox production value and all that. Can it get there? Maybe, maybe. Um, but people are looking around for other outlets. And, uh, and as I say, right now, we have a couple that seem to be pretty safe. Podcasting seems to be safe. Talk radio seems to be safe. What's the publishing world like? Do you know? I, the only story I know is that Candace Owens had to fight hammer and tong to get her book published. Um, and the title that she wanted. Do you know how publishing is doing generally? Oh, yeah, is no, it going I think back? It's, it's way out there to the left. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was in 90 when I, 91, 92, and I was trying to, you know, promote the book of virtues or sell it. And, uh, you know, people took it as a second book. I got no advance on that book. Uh, they, <laughs> they said, we'll take a chance on it. And it, of course it did. It did very well, but maybe this, sir, I don't know if you know this story, but I got a call from the publisher of the book of virtues because, uh, the guy who helped me write it did a huge amount of work, John Cribb, said, you know, we should have a 25th anniversary of the Book of Virtues, which would have been 2019. And so we proposed it to the publisher, and they got back, and they said, wonderful idea, but we need to have a co-author. It needs to be a woman. It needs to be a feminist, yeah. a liberal. Right. And right. we need to update the stories to include, you know, all the political, politically correct stuff. And they offered a very generous contract, you know, no, I mean, it's not what the book right. of virtues is. This is my idea. This is my book, you know? Yep. Yep. And, uh, but, but yeah. Oh no. I think that's, uh, I think that's right. Um, so I, there, there are a lot so of, either, just, yeah, no, it's so, it, it, so I don't know about new institutions or, or not, but maybe, maybe, maybe if you're right and I'm wrong and I hope you're right and I'm wrong, the American people will see what leftism really is. They'll be reminded of it and they'll, and they'll turn around. Right. And they'll turn it around. I mean, I mean, to turn around right. this election, if you think all the counts are, are valid, which as you know, I'm, I'm the last, right. one of the last five standing saying they're not, <laughs> uh, it was 41,000 votes that separated Trump from Biden. Yeah. If it's, I think yeah. it's your state, Arizona and, Georgia and Wisconsin. I think that's that's what it is. But that's not a lot of people to switch. And, you know, let's face it, it wasn't ideology that got Trump defeated. Uh, it was personality, wasn't it? Correct. I think so. Yeah. I think it's so. Those moderates, those people in the middle, those suburban housewives, whatever, saying, just can't take this guy anymore. Just can't take this stuff. Despite, but despite his successes and, and the policies, which were so, so impressive. Yes. Good point. Let me add to it on the other side, on the ideology side, because I thought that the best thing that would happen for Donald Trump was things like the riots and the BLM movement and the craziness that that all came with. And it turned out that that didn't scare enough people. Yeah. Other side of that coin. I, I, I hate to be keep arguing with you, but it just seems to me that if people don't see a Marxist movement and the founders of that movement are proud to say they're Marxists and mayors and governors 
painting those emblems on their city streets and standing with it and saying it like George Orwell uh, said. If that wasn't enough to scare people to have Donald Trump convincingly get, you know, 100 million votes, I'm worried. All right. Well, I'm. I've tried here a couple times, but we don't. This podcast can't run till February. Well, somewhere between what you're saying and I'm saying, it will be true. I hope you're but, right. I hope I'm wrong. But you don't, don't agree. I, then you remember what I wrote at the end of one of my books, which is, uh, you know, uh, the antibodies are kicking in. The American right. capacity for self renewal. Right. You're 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 not sure now. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. I'm really worried about it. Okay. I'm really worried about okay. it. Well, I wouldn't have been six months ago. I understand. It wouldn't have been. And it started with COVID. It started with COVID. I was shocked, not necessarily by the lockdown mentality of governors and mayors. I was shocked by the willingness of the American people to go along. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, one thinks of Havel, right? Baklip Havel. Is it yeah. You who gave me yeah. that saying, you know, we, we all knew the lie. We knew the lie. Yeah. But for, for a long time, we didn't speak up against it. But we all knew it was, we were living a lie. We all knew we were living a lie, and yet we um, we have, have to hang uh, Workers of the World Unite in our storefront windows because we're just told we have to do it. And at a certain point, that sinks in, and it numbs people. Who were the most ardent Trump supporters you ran into? I'll tell you who they were here. And maybe it's just, I don't know if it's geographically true of Arizona in a way that might not be where you live, but there's a lot of former Eastern Europeans yeah, here. Sure. They are the strongest yeah, supporters was. of Donald Trump, and they will tell you why. Yeah. They lived with the opposite. They lived under the opposite. Yeah. They never want to live with that again. A lot of people in South Florida, too. Right? Yeah. 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 I despair of convincing you today, but I'd like a few more shots in 2020. Okay. What do you say? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just, I, I think we're all a little depressed and hung over from the year, too. You know, just, yep. it just, it's just such a crappy year. And, you know, I, I was, I was like to figure in boxing about, you know, Muhammad Ali who took a bunch of punches and, you know, was knocked against the ropes and trying to get his balance back. But, you know, once he got it back, he, you know, he was, he was on his game. And I think lots of times we get kind of dizzy. We get kind of lose our balance and our sense of ourselves, but we come back. That's, that's still what I believe. I, I don't know. You remember that great line of Irving Crystal? He said, you know, uh, I, I use it when I tell people, say, are you an optimist or a pessimist? I say, I'm with Isaiah. Theoretically, I'm a pessimist. It's all wind and ashes. and You know, everything we're doing will come to dust. But operationally, I'm an optimist. And I remember Irving Crystal, Bill's father, who said, you got to be like those Soviet generals, you know, in the 70s, who said as they were shaving, how can we hurt the capitalists today? You know, <laughs> what can we do to advance it? And so that's what what I what I try to do at least on, on a lot of days. I'm totally with you on that. So as as okay. bad as I think things are, okay, we can never, 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 never give in. The stakes are way too high because where Absolutely. else do we go? Because where do we go? Last best hope of Earth. Yeah, you bet. There's nowhere else. There's nowhere else. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas, New Year, Bill. Happy New Year, and to Claude as well. Thank please. you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Those are good discussions. Very interesting perspectives. And, you know, we'd love to hear from the audience. What do you think about America, about the future, about 2020, about 2021, um, about the turn? Are you more pessimistic? Are you more optimistic? What needs to be done? 
um, tell us. And, uh, yeah, programming announcement you wanted to... Right, yeah, you've got some stuff coming up on Fox on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, correct? Fox uh, Business. Fox Business, yes. Yeah, they're going to show the uh, St. Nick uh, show, uh, the, the, the documentary I did on the on the real St. Nicholas, mm-hmm. the true St. Nicholas. Three times on Christmas Eve. Three times three on times Christmas Day. Three times on uh, Christmas Day, yes. Yeah. Lovely. It's very exactly. nice. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm pleased that they're doing it and grateful. There was uh, a lot of work, and the book was work, but it's a good, great story, the real St. Nick, mm-hmm. and it's a good time to remember that story. I'll find the times, and I'll post it on your Facebook page and on Twitter. Excellent. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. And people can email in and let us know. Next week we're doing our end of year show. And what do you think about the end of the year? What is your comment on 2020? What's 2020 about? And what are you looking forward to in 2020? And if you have nothing to say about 2020, Mm -hmm. you've been asleep. (laughs) Where have you been? Uh, What's the worst thing that happened? What's the best thing that happened? easier to do the first one i think yeah i think so uh please share this podcast with your family and friends we will catch up next week